welcome to the newest episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I believe we are on episode 44. And as always, I'm very, very, very excited to bring my guest on this week. My friend Les Butts has been a product rep in the music industry for well over three decades, well over two decades, a long time. And he is one of the classiest, most generous, kind, well-spoken people in the industry. And uh, I'm not only honored to call him a colleague, but also a friend. We met back when I was working as the operations manager at ProSound Music Centers in Colorado Springs, before I moved up to Denver to work in a couple stores there, and then eventually up to the corporate office. And uh, he's a great guy, man. I mean... He was known as the Pearl guy back then because he was our Pearl drums rep and then uh, kind of went on his own and started doing uh, work for a whole bunch of companies. His new company or newest venture, Big Groove Sales, can be found at www.biggroovesales.com. And uh, that will lead you to his site, which shows you all the different products that he reps for. Most notably, uh, you know, Toka Percussion. They make a lot of Latin percussion instruments that are really super fun and cool not expensive uh, and high quality, which I've always loved about them. Uh, he does work with Big Bang Distribution, which if you're a drummer, I guarantee you, you own at least two or three products that are distributed by Big Bang, all kinds of accessories, sticks, wraps, uh, drum keys, all kinds of things that are uh, very, very useful to us drummers. Um, and now he's in, in addition to guitar cases and different things, he's also moved into the world of ukuleles, which I, I was kind of shocked by. Uh, it's just not something that you think about. The only time I think about ukuleles, honestly, is when I go to the NAMM show and I go down to Hall E and there's about 30 different vendors with walls of these things in all different colors and patterns and paints. Uh, and then there's usually like one big vendor upstairs uh, in the main hall that has like a whole wall of them, which are are very, very beautifully decorated. But apart from that, it just they just don't even pop into my head. But they're a very, very popular instrument all over the world. Uh, they're inexpensive. They're easy to learn. It's only four strings, not very hard, not a lot of uh, frets. So it's it's easy to learn some basic stuff and and even play and sing. Uh, of course, my favorite company of all the ones that uh, Les works with I will not reveal now. I'll reveal that in the show. I'll just say that I love this company. It's probably one of my favorite companies on planet Earth, period. I absolutely love the products that they make. I love the quality of them. I love the sound of them. Amazing. So you'll have to listen to the show to find out what the hell I'm talking about. So uh, not too much going on. I'm getting ready to head down to Comic-Con. Uh, this uh, coming weekend here in, in uh, Phoenix. Well, it's not called Comic-Con anymore. It's something else now. They've renamed it, but it's basically Comic-Con under a different name. Uh, Fan Fusion, I think it is now, which makes no sense. I'm not sure why they did it. Don't really care. It's a huge event. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be there, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to touching pace with, uh, uh, with my dear friend, Victoria Page, who's been on the show a couple of times. Justin Chung, amazing graphic artist. Uh, he draws these Star Wars trading cards amongst all kinds of other series. Great guy, high quality work. Uh, looking forward to seeing him. I haven't seen him since I think the year that I did my panel at Comic-Con in Phoenix, which was 2014. So it'd be great to catch up with him. Summer Helene, who's also been on the show. She was one of my first guests. She does a panel there every year on horror movie distribution. 
I'm not sure if it's the same panel that she's doing this year, or if she's doing something different, but it's always interesting to go and see. Uh, so if you're headed to Phoenix Comic Con, that is uh, her panel is Saturday, I think around 7 p.m. Um, also, Amanda at Modified Minds uh, does some amazing costuming. Uh, she'll be there as well. So go check these people out. They're absolutely wonderful, incredibly talented, great things that they put out into the entertainment industry. And I fully support each and every one of them as, as best I can. Uh, known them all for many years and uh, grateful to call each one of them my friends for sure. Um, so this coming episode, um, since I'm going to be on a bit of a time crunch, I decided that since I'm going to work on the concept of doing episodes about each episode of Stranger Things that comes out for season three, because I find it to be a fascinating show, both on the storyline, the acting, the production, the writing, all aspects of the show, I find absolutely uh, just just entrancing. And I love it. I think they cast the show very well. I love the visual component of it. I think the the digital graphics, you know, you kind of expect that that's going to be top notch these days. But uh, there's so much that goes into it. And uh, and I wasn't particularly happy with season two. Um, I thought there was a lot of things that that really didn't add up for the characters. So while I've been doing other things, uh, catching up on some of the digital work and things that I do, I, I rewatched seasons one and two. And I, I mean, this is my third time through season two, and I felt exactly the same way. So next week episode, next week's episode is going to be uh, just like a, an overview of the season three trailer and uh, kind of what my feelings and expectations are for the season. If you guys like it, let me know. And then I'll go ahead and continue once the show actually hits on July. I think it's either July 4th or 5th. This season comes online at Netflix. So we'll see. Um, what else? So that's pretty much uh, everything that's going on. Um, I'm still working on the Addicted album. I'm actually in the recording process now. Uh, very excited to have moved that forward. Kelly sent me the artwork. It's absolutely beautiful i love what she did uh very different from my initial concept uh which i'll talk about when i do the addicted episode but uh i really really love her work as always she's she just endlessly surprises me with every project that we do i don't even know how many it's been now 12 or 13 albums that we've done together uh and so this is one of the this is the first older album actually that i have revamped for re-release so i'm really excited about this i want to do one every year if not more if i have the time just depends on what's going on with some projects um throughout the year but uh, definitely for this year uh, this will be the one and hopefully possibly another we'll see so before i get into the show and bring less on i want to talk to you guys about his the uh, new band and new album the band is called black squirrel the album is also called Black Squirrel. And I have to say, I, I heard the album after the episode. I really wish I'd listened to it before because I could have asked him uh, some more dynamic questions about the actual album. But I absolutely love it. It's got a great production quality to it. The The writing is fantastic. It's really varied. Uh, it's not like when you, you know, you buy let's say an Iron Maiden album, and you kind of know that everything's going to be hard-edged, driving drums, distorted guitars, brilliant singing, melodic. Uh, this is a kind of a varied album. And he goes into this a little bit where he talks about the different styles that are on the album. And even though the styles are different, the album itself is very coherent to me. Um, I think the, the mixing is a little bit uh, off from one song to another. So it's not uh, that I didn't particularly like. But apart from that, I think the album is absolutely fantastic. It's well worth listening to seven or eight hundred times. 
And uh, you can find I found it on iTunes, but I, I, I'm sure it's everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, um, all over the place. But it's definitely on, on iTunes. And when you listen to it, if you like it, if you're happy with it, give them a rating. Take five seconds and go to the ratings tab and uh, you know give them some stars. Put a few words down if you like. The nice thing about iTunes is, it'll, is it, it allows you to do either. You can uh, just put some stars down for them if you like, or you can also give a uh, an actual uh, review or feedback on the album. But it's it's tremendous. Um, I think his drumming's solid. The bass playing is very very good. It's it's really uh, tight between the bass and drums. Uh, and despite the way that they recorded it, you really kind of feel like they were together. Uh, the way that the the album is produced. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, listen to it. Black Squirrel by Black Squirrel. And without further ado, I think it's time to bring Les on the show. Les Butts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am really thrilled to bring on our next guest, Les. I've known, I realized I had to look this up before I connected with him, but I've actually known Les. I started at ProSound in March of 97. So it's been a while, and I'm really excited to have him come on the show. Let's welcome Les. Les, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Definitely. I'm fantastic. Thanks. I didn't realize how long you and I have actually known each other. It's frightening, isn't it? <laughs> it's frightening. We've been doing this this long. Yeah, well, well, but we're still here to complain about it. So there you go. You know? Exactly. And yeah. you, you uh, kind of branched off. You were an independent rep before, and then you branched off and started your own company uh, in, was it, uh, it was April of, uh, 2012. Yeah. Something like that. I was actually, uh, into, I was kind of back and forth. I, when I started this, uh, uh, this end of the business back in the 80, I was working, I moved out from Texas to work for Schecter guitars, uh, when they were based here in the San Fernando Valley, um, what I call the real Schecters when they were making stuff for Pete Townsend and, uh, you know, all the, all the other big guys they were making stuff for. And then went to work for Pisces uh, as a um, captive guy, meaning captive meaning of a corporate rep. And then I was independent again. Then I worked for Pearl for about 15 years as a a, a, a corporate guy. Then I branched out and started doing my own uh, independent thing. Yeah, and when uh, at the time that I started at Pro Sound, you were basically known as the Pearl guy. I was the Pearl guy. Yeah, <laughs> I was the Pearl guy. It was me. Which was fine because those are the drums I love the most. I, I've oh, played good. a lot yeah. of different kits, and I can say, and and I shouldn't say this because you're rep, you're not repping them right now, but uh, there, there's no kit that I've ever played that I've been able to get the sound out of that I enjoy as much as Pearl. Oh, good. Well, I've I, I have a set that they they did for me that I've had for probably ten, twelve years now, and. And I love it. And I've got my all my old Ludwigs, all my vintage stuff, but that never leave leave the studio. But the Pearl kit, you know, I get compliments on it all the time, and uh, people say it sounds great. And uh, you know, they may. I mean, there's so much good stuff out there these days. That's the other thing that's very kind of exciting about this business these days is that there's so many good drum makers and good drum companies that uh, you you know you just almost can't get a bad drum it's almost like you can't get a bad meal in san francisco you know that kind right. of thing so yeah do you find it difficult though because you focus mostly on percussion i know you've kind of started to branch out a little now but since you focus mostly on production it, is it a challenge to you to say well i have four companies that make a really good bass drum pedal how do you pick one to recommend over another well it really varies on um on what the person wants and what the the, the player needs that's the thing i think it's lost too is, is the whole of a customer service thing 
that instead of just saying, here's the, here's the most expensive pedal, buy it, saying, well, what do you, what do you, how do you play? What do you do? What kind of music you play in? What, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you play and try to make it, you know, one pedal may not be the right one for them, even though it's a great pedal. You know, they all may be equally as good as far as quality and as far as, you know, manufacturing and pricing and so forth. But, you know, they all have little different tweaks on them. So every, you being a drummer, every drummer has their own little thing, you know, that they like that's, that's personal to them. So it's, it's really, it's really matching the instrument to the player, I think. And, um, you know, it's just like the cymbals or, or drums or anything. It's, it's like, you know, it's like, is that blue shirt better than that red shirt? Well, no, they're both good shirts. They're just different colors. So it's just a different, different feel and different, uh, different instrument for a different person, different player. Unless you're on Star Trek and that red shirt is not going to be good for you because that's basically your impending doom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you really, you really, and I've always said about you, and I think this was pretty much the consensus from everyone at ProSound was that you were always a very respectful person to the brand that you repped, but also the competition because it's really easy to say, here's why you should buy my stuff and really kind of turn the focus back on that. But whenever we talked about different companies, whether it be, you know, Tama or other drum manufacturers, you were always very respectful to the other brands. And that's one thing I think has helped you sustain a career in this business. Oh, well, thank you. I, well, I've never liked to badmouth other companies. I mean, you know, the old the kind of a joke in the rep business is, you know, don't badmouth them. You may be revving them next week. You know? <laughs> that's right. And, yeah. Uh, but it's like, like I said, everybody makes good product and it's a small world. And you don't want to, you know, it just makes you look cheap. It makes you look um, unprofessional. You know, I used to do trainings in stores and uh, uh, some of the bigger stores. And, you know, I would bring up different lines and they'd say, oh, no, I hate that. And it's like, don't ever say that. You know, don't ever say that because you may be selling it next week and it just makes you look, you know, bad. Just say, well, I don't carry that, but I have this. This might be what you need. Again, it's all, it's customer service and talking to you know, the person and making sure you give them the right, you know, the right thing for the right person. You know, I agree. And and it was definitely something that I noticed with several of the reps that I knew back at that time, they would, you know, they would compliment the products of their competitors, but they would kind of lean in and go, well, you know, they're really good when you first start working with them, but they use cheap circuitry. So they're not going to last you longer. They would make some kind of comment to put that yeah. negative connotation in your head. But what it really did to me was put a negative connotation about them in my head. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's and that's very fair. I mean, and now unless there's something that you know, and you know this this unit does catch fire if you you know play it for more than ten minutes. That's kind of something that you know I think somebody might want to know if it is indeed true. <laughs> right. But yeah. I mean, most mostly it's like you know that's you know if there's a if there's a defect in the product or there's something wrong with it, it'll come out. You know, the people will find out. You know, and it's just you know that everybody has to stand on their own merits and. You know, you, the, the main thing about being a rep that I've learned after all these years is you have to sell yourself that people have to trust you and they have to know that if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it and you take care of them and, you know, and never, never be a sure way around product. You know, it's like you know, the, the, the one of the things is, well, what's that tapping noise? And I hear, I hear something like tap dancing in the background. What do you, what are you saying? You know, and most people know about everything now anyway you know most people are you know the, with the internet and they've you know they've got every so much information at their at their disposal that you know most of the time they kind of know what's going on anyway so it, it just doesn't do any good to bad mouth any company for any reason you know sure i mean the people the the, the consumers are going to do that on their own oh sure you know, there's, yeah. there's no shortage of people putting their opinions on yelp and 
different websites. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's you know, and, and bad reviews. You know, people love to talk bad about people as opposed to talk good about them. You know, and it's it's just so much more fun. I guess I don't know. That's kind of the world we live in, though. I mean, if you look at uh, the news or any uh, you know media sites, everything's about what's more sensational, what's going to get people to come back after the commercial break, and that's controversy. Anything that's like, whoa, what happened there. As opposed right. to, you know, hey, somebody was walking down the street, they saw a cat in a tree, they got the cat down and gave it to the owner. That's a feel-good story. Exactly. But you're not going to hear that unless the person broke a limb falling out of the tree. <laughs> exactly. Well, plus everything is breaking news, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, uh, not to slam CNN, but I mean, it's just like, you know, yeah, everything is so, that's what it has to do to keep, you know, like you say, keep our imagination, you know, uh, or keep our attention, rather, because it's just there's so much out there. You know, I, I work very hard to keep myself as free as possible of those kinds of things, because it doesn't serve me to know most of the things that go on in the world, uh, mm -hmm. especially as an artist. It can kind of drag me away from wanting to be creative, but sure. it just doesn't serve me. And I, I grew up just outside Detroit. So you, you're familiar enough with that area. You know that it's right. a lot of crime and the news yep. was mostly, you know, body in an alley, baby in a microwave, puppy slaughter. Right. It, it, why do I need to know about those things? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't need to see the pictures of, of, you know, everybody that got shot and got, you know, it's, I don't, you know, I know what happens. I don't need to know about every little detail of it. So Right. Now, there were certain things I, I have to admit I have felt a little more connected to. I mean, I was working at the Littleton Prose Town, which was right down the street from Columbine when that was going on. So oh, I, I had yeah. a little bit more of a connection to it. Not Not that I was there or had anything to do with it, but just because it happened right where I was. Oh, sure. And, and obviously, yeah. you know, the Vegas shootings and that. But I really, apart from those kinds of things. I really just try and stay away from it. I want to stay happy and creative and positive and uplifting. And you just can't do that being sucked down by the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a tough job these days to be, to be somewhat happy, you know, and somewhat positive, you know, because sometimes you just, you just want to slap some people. It's like, shut up, leave me, stop it. You know, just move on. Yeah. And if, if that wasn't going to cause me problems of getting slapped back, I would probably do it a lot more. Well, that's the problem. If you, when you slap somebody, be prepared to be slapped back. And, that's right. You know, yeah. I mean, even though I'm six, even though I'm six foot four, I, I can still be slapped back pretty hard. So, you know. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's probably too many people that are going to take a chance on messing with you, but there's always going to be somebody. <laughs> Of course. But do you find that challenge? Because you're out on the road a lot. I mean, you, you live in California, but you rep in California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. Mm -hmm. That's that's a lot of being out on the road and kind of isolated to the conversations that you're having with people. Do you find it uh, depressing sometimes? Well, sometimes. I mean, but, uh, you know, being uh, I toured in the 70s quite a bit, um, you know, around Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. Uh, but that that was not being out by myself. I, I was with the band, but it was still kind of that you know nomadic lifestyle. Uh, it's I enjoy the long drives. It's, it it gives me time to think and and uh, you know just kind of be you know just be a little more peaceful. Uh, but yeah, I mean it gets it certainly gets lonesome. I mean you wake up in a hotel and I don't know how many times I've had to look at the phone to see what the area code was to see where I was, you know. Right. And yeah. uh, it had nothing to do with the night before. It had to do with, you know, being <laughs> up and down airplanes. And, you know, at, at one point in my sales career, I was, you know, on a plane probably two or three times a week, you know, going to different, you know, places. Now I pretty much drive everywhere I go, which is a whole lot easier, just a whole lot more. And plus, I think it's safer, you know, without going through airports and having to go through security and all the other crap you have to go through to get on a plane these days but um it's, it's it's not i mean 
it's what you make it. You know, I mean, it, it can be depressing. You know, if uh, I've known reps that go, you know, when they're on the road, they just stay in their hotel room. They get, you know, takeout food and sit in their hotel room and don't go anywhere or do anything. And I learned a long time ago. I mean, I was going to, you know, San Francisco and Denver and, and, uh, and Las Vegas and San Diego and Phoenix and all these wonderful places. And I thought, why should I stay in my hotel room? I'm being paid to be here. You know, and I look around at all these other people. I'm saying they're paying to be here on vacation. Why shouldn't I be out and enjoy it? Yeah. You know, and I, if I go to a restaurant, I'm, I'm sitting at the bar having a glass of wine. You, I, I've, I've met so many interesting people and talked to so many, you know, really wonderful people that I've met all over the place, you know, and it's just, you, and that's part of being a salesman. You know, you, you, you yak, you talk, you know, and it's just, uh, it's really interesting to, to, if I stayed in my hotel room all the time by myself, yeah, it would be depressing. Yeah. You know, but I, I tend to get out and see the sights as much as I can, you know, within reason. Well, and, and you're living it, you know, you're, you're going to live the life and experience what you can, because it's just, it's here and gone too fast. You might as well take advantage of the time instead exactly. of sitting there watching a rerun of Gilligan's Island or whatever they have on the hotel. Exactly. TV. Have you ever thought about uh, writing a book about those experiences? You know, I have, I've thought about, I started keeping a diary uh, a little bit and keeping a journal or whatever you want to call it. And I've stopped and I need to, to do that again. Cause you know, as life goes on, I'm and I'm looking at different things and think I I had a couple of fun things happen, you know, and a couple of a couple of things that were pretty good and uh, so uh, yeah, I, I probably will start writing more things down just to you know just to have them have them there for posterity. I guess I don't know if anybody would care, but yeah, it's uh life on the road is fun. It it could you know I I, I sit at home and if I'm home for a long time, I get antsy to go on the road. And then when I go on the road, if I'm out for like a week, week and a half, I go, God, I sure would like to go home, you know? So it's 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 a balancing act, you know? Um, I, I try to make sure wherever I'm going, you know, wherever I'm going to end up that night is going to be, you know, a nice place to, to hang. And like I, I'll stay in Pismo Beach for one night, you know, because I have a place I found that's inexpensive there and I'm looking at the water and that relaxes me. Or, you know, and I try to stay in the same places all the time so they know me and it, it's more it's more like another home away from home kind of a thing. It, it takes that helps with the, uh, you know, the separation anxiety, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get really comfortable where you're at, where you're seeing familiar yeah. faces. I mean, the, yep. there's always turnover, but having that, uh, consistency is really good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's been, that's been a big part of, uh, of, of, of my travels that, you know, they, it's nice to go back and not just from a, an ego when they say, Oh, Mr. Butts, how are you? Good to see you. You know, or, or hi, Les, how are you? And they know who I am. And, and it's, you know, and it's, yeah, so yeah, it, it helps. It helps a lot. I think one thing is, as we move into you know all the changes that are going on in the world, I think the thing that's really going to help us understand the times that we're in currently are the books. I mean, people's experiences, people writing about their their lives and what they've come across. I would really, I would, I would love to read that book if you ever decide to write it. Well, great. You'll be the first one to get it. <laughs> you so great. Well, you got one right there. <laughs> There we go. You I've, even started I've, I've almost covered my cost. <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, let's see. You, It's a ridiculous list of companies that, that you're carrying for. Um, let's just kind of run through a few of them because I'm not familiar with all of them. Uh, I, and if I mispronounce them, please correct me because I probably will. Now, of course, most of the stuff that, that you focus on is, is percussion. So what does uh, A-Tempo Percussion carry? A-Tempo is a company that is based with... Uh, or that's uh, owned by uh, Rhythm Band, RBI company. And they do uh, toka percussion, which is hand percussion. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, And they do uh, the Fred King vintage guitars, and they do uh, Odory drums, which are a Brazilian company. Uh, Atempo is, is a Peruvian 
Cajon Company, which oh. is where Cajon came from. Mm-hmm. Really, really high quality stuff. It's uh, it's like furniture, and it's just it's an amazing, amazing company. Um, kind of a limited, you know, uh, sales. It, it, it's not like an everyday, every store, every place online kind of a thing because it's it's a really, really high end instrument that you have to be a player to really appreciate it because there's a million cajones and a million djembes out there these days. Sure, yeah. But but uh, the, it's really high quality stuff. Yeah, and I'll tell you, just Toka alone, I'm very familiar with them, and there's yeah. nothing that I've ever touched of theirs that I didn't think was well worth playing. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's 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 part of part of this world is you got to have consistency. You know, it's got to be, you know, one's got to be as good as the next. You know. Mm-hmm. And we're going to circle around back to that very statement when we, I'm going to save my favorite one for last, but, uh, that, that <laughs> okay, will, I know which one that you is. You know okay. which one. Yeah. But, and it that do, definitely is very uh, consistent there. Uh, yeah. now I've not heard of, uh, Tetherax. Oh, Tetherax. That's a company, a friend of mine up in the Northwest who is doing, uh, his own strap company. Uh, he's a rep and he's, you know, he just got tired of seeing, you know, lots of inferior products and he's bringing in stuff from China. Um, I, I don't know how much it, it, the price just went up as of a couple of days ago, but um, <laughs> what a great time to it, have you on the show! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's uh, real high quality stuff. You know, not expensive. It's good everyday stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it's a it's a fine product. It's a nice. He's a nice guy and good friend, and you know, just, it's a, it's a decent, really decent product. Well, you know, I want to I want to take a little uh, side road here because this this leads me to something I was going to ask you about later. But being that you mentioned that you're very tall, do you find it as a drummer? Have you have you found it difficult to have setups that are comfortable for a guy of your height? Well, it's I've always had the uh, the, the the slouch problem being a drummer. I always tend to you know like lean in and kind of slouch down a little bit. You know, partially because I'm tall, and partially because that seems to be you know, before I knew about good posture and good, you know, breathing and all that kind of stuff, I, you know, that that's it's been that way. But now with all the different thrones and different ways to set drums up, I've, you know, I I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I've, you know, I have um, a, a throne with a back, which I never thought I'd use, uh, but it's, you know, it's comfortable. And uh, I've got my drum set up to where it's, it's comfortable. It's like sitting at a desk, you know. Right. Yeah. And do you do warm ups before you play or do you just go for it? Yeah, I usually I'll, I'll I'll do some rudiments, you know, kind of a thing, you know, that kind of a thing. I'll stretch if I have to, but uh, but yeah, just try to get the hands, you know, the hands warmed up a little bit. But usually, if I'm playing quite a bit, I don't I don't really need to warm up much. Mm-hmm. But if it's been you know a week or two since we've you know got together and played, yeah, I'll do some rudiments or you know play on a pad a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's just you know if you if you just go right into the show and you're playing full force and it's you know it's nice to have exercised your wrists and, and hands a little bit. You know, I used to do. Uh, one hit, two hits, three hits. So left, right, left, left, right, right, left, 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 right, 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 and all the way up to five, and then back down again. And I would do three yeah. or four sets of that before I would go on stage. And uh, I personally, I found that it really helped me. But I was also playing very aggressive music at the time. Right. Well, it's you know it, it, your body. It, it's a shock to the body, you know, and, and especially as you get older, if you know you have a little bit of arthritis, a little bit of stiffness, or whatever, it's good to you know, let your hands know what you're about to put them through, you know, so right. uh, it's, it's, uh, it definitely helps, you know, it definitely helps. Well, the thing is with, uh, with, with longer arms too, I mean, as a drummer, I kind of feel like we have an advantage because we really have a lot of different options with our setups. Whereas say a guitar player that has long arms, you can only drop the strap so far. You can only angle exactly. the guitar so much. 
you know, it, it seems like we would have a better position for a bigger person. Yeah, and I, I tend to sit back from my bass drum a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not right on top of it. And, um, and I, I mean, I don't play a big kid. I play one up in two floors and, and a ride in two crashes. And that's it. I don't, okay. you know, the days of, of A, lugging around a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the older you get, the smaller the kid gets, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I also find that the more drums I have, the more I'm going to hit them. You know, and I don't, my, my way I play and the way I like to play, I, I consider myself a groove player in a pocket or a shuffle player. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I actually at one point uh, took my rack tom down and didn't have one for a while. Really? Um, it was, and it was very, very enlightening and it was very uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And it, but it, it opened me up to the crowd too much. <laughs> so yeah. if I have the tom up there, I can hide a little bit better, you know. It's it's amazing the psychological difference of even oh, one yeah. symbol, one drum yep. makes. Yep, it really does. It, and I've I've never, you know, I'm not a solo player. I don't like, I hate drum solos. Um, and you know, so I've never been, you know, one to say, hey, hey, look at me. I'd rather be up there playing with a bass player or somebody and having, you know, having fun doing that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's you know, and I have a big bass drum. I have a twenty-four inch bass drum and a, and a twelve and a fourteen and a sixteen. And I just like to, I kind of, you know, hide back there a little bit. So right, yeah, yeah. I was I was going to ask you if you played a larger kick. I had a feeling that you did, but it does give you a good, powerful sound. It just feels better to me. I mean, I've had, yeah, I've played twenty twos all my life, mm -hmm. and I've got a twelve. No, no, I shouldn't say that. My my old Ludwig kit when I was on the road in the seventies was a, a fourteen twenty-four. Um, because I thought it was going to be jump on them, but <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't quite work out. Um, but I've used, uh, my Pearls mostly had 22s. I had a 20, also got a 24 with it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the 24 just feels better to me, you know? Yeah. And a sound killer. I was like the 16 by 22 because I like a good punchy kick when I play. And yeah. uh, that's just like the sweet spot for me. But I also, you know, yeah. I, I hear a lot of drummers when they're in the studio, they record with larger bass drums to capture that, that, you know, bigger, boomier sound. And I really like the way it records. Yeah. And the studio is a whole different animal. I found out. I mean, when I did the, this, this last record that we did, I was on, it was a, a pork pie kit and it was a nine by 13, 16 by 16, 16 by 18, 14 by 24. Wow. And those were the sizes I used to use. I used to, I, I, used to use a, a 16 by 18 with my Ludwig kit and it made me just really long for the, the days of having that when I got back from the, the record I put I pulled my 16 by 18 out and put it up with my Ludwig kit and it it, it was nice you know but it, you know, in the studio you can do you can make anything sound huge it seems but it still felt better you know having those big drums around me well I think that's the difference really because yeah you can recreate some things in the studio you can give a false sense of the recording but right. the thing that you can't give is the drummer's feel and what how you right. feel is going to affect how you perform. If you feel like you're playing on a kit that sounds tinkly and thin and little, you're not going to give that full performance that you would if you had right. a big booming kit. Yep. Well, yeah, what's really interesting about that, and maybe it's um, uh, not having the right technique or professionalism or whatever, but if I go do a gig, and my snare drum or bass drum sound terrible, it just kills me all night long. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, God, I don't want to be doing this. But if my snare drum or bass drum are killer, it's like I'm I'm there, you know, and I just I perform so much better, knowing full well that out front it probably sounds fine mm -hmm. and I shouldn't worry about that. But, you know, it's it just it, it's it's that little little tweaky thing, you know? Yeah. 
Well, it's I think it's the same same psychology of having one more or less symbol or one more or less drum on that kit. It affects it affects you in a way that everything will affect your performance. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I would say that that affected that would affect me more than the number of audience. If I felt comfortable behind the kit and I had two people out in the audience, I think I would play better than if I had a full crowd and a smaller mm-hmm. kit. Sure. Yeah, it's and it's just there's so much that goes into it with with playing with you know with with four or five or three or two however many other people in the band and the crowd and you know there's nothing yeah because oh it must be really good for your ego I said it has nothing to do with ego really for me it's if I'm playing and first of all if the band locks in that's there's no other feeling that you can't really explain that to anybody who's not a musician right. or an artist because that's that's just that feeling and then when you see the the crowd get into it and you're locked into that. Hey, they're just nothing better, you know? Yeah. And uh, I've learned over the years that uh, I've, I've stopped trying to make a whole lot of money, you know, being a drummer in, this, in the business, especially in L.A. Um, but it's, it's if it's not fun and I don't like the people I'm playing with, I'm really not interested, you know? Yeah. Because I know I'm not, and, or unless you're going to pay me just a whole ton of money, then, then, we're talk, <laughs> then, we'll, talk, then we'll talk. Yeah. But, but it's got to be fun, you know? It, it's I mean, come on, that's what we got into this for, you know, to be, have fun. Well, you know, I think uh, Ian Pace said it the best, and and he's a Pisces artist, but he said, uh, you know, every time that I go on stage, I go back to being a 16-year-old kid who just wanted to play drums for fun. Yeah, it's my profession. Yeah, it's what I do. It's what I live on. But I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. And I get to be a 16-year-old kid on stage every night. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and and that's not, it. Not I a mean, damn thing wrong with that. Yeah, it it does change things when you try to turn music into a business you do lose a lot of your sense of joy because you're so busy trying to find the next gig or the next paycheck or, or whatever. Uh, Right. But if you can keep that with you, if you can keep that joy and why you got into doing it in the first place, then you're a lot likely to sustain yourself for potentially life. If you can look at it that way. Well, and it's, it's interesting, you know, the, every time I set up, you know, and go to a gig, I go, why did I become a drummer? You know, I got so (laughs) much crap to set up. You know, and I'm very organized about how I, you know, how I load in, how I pack my stuff, which is funny because at the end of the night you get people, can I help me pack up? No, nope, don't touch anything. Right. No, yeah. no. <laughs> everything has a place. Everything has a way it's supposed to go in. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, then you see a guitar player walk in with a little amp and sit down and go, okay, I'm ready. Like, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about what other instrument I really have wanted to play. And it's like none. I get to sit and, and bang on stuff all night long. I mean, you know. Right. They got my aggressions on that. So what what could be what could be better? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think the most common phrase I would utter after a gig was, "Yeah, I'll see you guys at Denny's." Yeah. You know, you guys will you'll have your food in front of you, and I'll just be getting there ordering. Because yeah. I I played a big kit. I had six rack toms, two kicks, uh, two floor toms, wow. killer amount of cymbals. Um, you really are a glutton, aren't you, boy? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't know what, but you know, I like <laughs> I like melody as a drummer. So yeah. it's uh, it's really hard for me to play on smaller kits because I don't get to be as melodic as I like to be. Right. But you got to right. pay the price if you're going to do that. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I've I've played on bigger drums and then I've had a smaller kit back in the 70s when I was touring. I had a, a 12 by 15, a 16, 18, a 14, 24. Mm-hmm. And that's all I that's all I care. Again, it was I was going through my John Bonham phase. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. When I was going through my Ginger Baker phase, I had two up, two down and, and two bass drums. You know, but I wasn't really playing out that much. So I was still, you know, pretty young. But um, you know, I did, and I remember doing 
some some uh, some shows like that were uh, you know multi bands, and they I sat out behind this Yamaha kit and uh, which is fine kit. It was great. There was like three up and two down, and I said, "Can you take like three of these drums away?" And the 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 the, the guy on the stage says, "Are you sure you're a drummer?" I said, "Absolutely, I'm a drummer. Believe me." You know, I said, "Because if they're there, I'm going to hit them, and I don't need to hit them. I don't need to be playing stuff that that, that I don't need to be playing." You know, that's right. Don't leave me the temptation because I'll take. Yeah, it. don't. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't put it up there because I'll hit it. You know. Yeah. Now, Ginger Baker, you mentioned him. It's uh, boy, I did not know the extent of his personality until I saw Ooh. the documentary Beware of Mr. Baker. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's amazing. It really turned me off to him in a way, but, you know, he's 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 who he is. You know, I mean, I, my, my drumming career was basically Ringo, uh, Ginger Baker, uh, and John Bonham, and then from there, and Ian Pace, and then from there, you know, just the rest of all the other people that you have to absorb. Right. But, know. you know, I used to see, I used to see, uh, I saw Cream once, I saw um, God, I saw Led Zeppelin five or six times, um, leaning up against the stage, you know, and back in the day when you could do that, right? Yeah. Um, and then the same thing with Deep Purple. I saw Ian Pace. I loved Ian Pace, aside from the fact he's a really nice guy and he's a great player, but because he was left-handed, mm-hmm. and I'm a lefty, even though I play kind of right-handed. But um, you know, it, it's just you watch all these guys, and you're, it's it's just it's amazing to see, you know. But he was. Um, yeah, Ginger was a, a, a character. Yeah, he still is, <laughs> just angrier. To say the least. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just some smack. Talking about being smacked. I mean, he would just assume smack is look at you. I think. But, yeah. Uh, well, he he would smack you, but he would pick up a shovel to do it first. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's the problem. He wouldn't hit you with his hand. It'd be a shovel or a cane or something. So. Yeah, I don't know if the documentary is still on Netflix, but if uh, any of you guys are listening and want to see it, really interesting. Uh, probably the most interesting interview I've ever seen in my life. Uh, check yeah. it out. If not, I'm sure it's yeah, available it, it, it really is. It, yeah, it's very enlightening, to say the least. Yeah, definitely extreme opposite of, of just about every musician I've ever met. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's arrogance exactly. and there's hatred, and he's just down to hatred. Yep. Well, I think part of it, and this is without being, you know, knowing, but I mean, you know, Clapton and Jack, uh, you know, Clapton has really excelled after all that. Right. You know, and uh, was very successful. I think Ginger kind of got left behind. You know, and uh, who knows why? I mean, you know, I don't, who knows? But yeah. um, I, that I, I would think that may have have a little bit to do with it. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. He still he still plays well. I saw, I saw the Cream reunion, which was kind of you know interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he still plays well. And the other thing I'll say too is that even though it was you know so far back when a lot of that stuff happened with him, if it wasn't for him. Modern drumming would not be what it is today. It wouldn't have oh, evolved the same way. He was really That's one right. of the first people to play the way he did. Yep. And to play weird bass drum sizes and, and, and have, you know, the sizes that he had, the way his drums were set up and his whole style of playing. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, like I said, for me, it was, you know, Ringo and him and, and Bonham were the kind of the, the, the guys who you looked at and Charlie Watts and, you know, and then he got Harmony Peace and, you know, mm-hmm. so there's all these different players, but, uh, and then, and, well, let's see, then you got Mitch Mitchell with Jimi Hendrix. And, right. you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But, you know, those guys were, you know, kind of like the, the cornerstones of a lot of this stuff. You know? Yeah, and I, I will always give huge props to Mitch Mitchell because the kind of drumming that he did with Hendrix, it was unheard of before that. <laughs> yep. It was interesting to me that, you know, I would always hate it when we tried to either learn a Beatles tune 
or a, a Hendrix tune because I said I can't I can't play like that. You know, I mean, I I can't. Ringo has a swing to him and a and a, and a different feel that nobody else has. And Mitch Mitchell was all over the place because that's what he needed to do. Right. And uh, same thing with with uh, Little Feet and Richie Hayward. He's another guy that you know that that uh, was really hard to to lock into to copy. You know. Ringo had the feel, and yep. I I'll never say that I think that Ringo was an incredibly creative drummer, but he didn't need to be. He needed to be a right. solid drummer with a good feel yep. for the Beatles, and that's exactly what he was. Well, it's interesting to me that, you know, I see all these things. Uh, uh, I, there was a, a Beatles site that I posted something on, on um, yesterday or today, but they were saying, oh, Ringo was this and Ringo was that. He wasn't that good. And I said, look, here's the deal. Ringo's in the Beatles and you weren't. So he was in the Beatles for a reason, Yeah. you know, and nobody, I mean, when they had their 50th anniversary and, and Paul got up and had, you know, and, and Ringo was there, but they had all these different drummers play. And I mean, they had, Great drummers. I mean, they were all fantastic drummers, but nobody had that feel, mm-hmm. uh, except the guy uh, uh, who's playing um, Abe Jr., who's playing with McCartney now. He's the best Ringo-ish kind of a drummer for that gig because he he's got that feel and that looseness and that swing to it. Yeah, you know, and that's not that's not easy to do. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I can play like Ringo. Well, no, you really can't. You know, and. Uh, and Charlie Watts is another one. He's the same kind of guy. He plays, if you really sit and watch him and listen to him, you know, you might think it's a little sloppy, but, you know, you look at it and go, oh, okay, well, yeah, you know, there's a, it's, it's pretty amazing once you really sit down and kind of drill down and look at these guys and watch what they were doing. And you watch the way Bonham played. I, I found a couple of things watching him that I, I never knew. Mm-hmm. And it just really explained a lot, you know, and yeah. really irritated a lot too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people, you know, and I look at these lists of, you know, top 100 drummers, top 100 guitar players of all times. And it's not even that they were necessarily great players. It was just that they were associated with great songs. The difference right. with Ringo is that I've always felt he was underrated or just accepted as good because he was in the Beatles, but not actually right. paid attention to because he wasn't flashy. But right. if you really want to get a sense of how good Ringo was or still is, I would imagine, set him to a click track. Put, it, put yep. a Beatles song on and play it along with a click track, and you'll see the feel that he brings yep. that is not straight 4 4. Yep. Well, you know, everything he's got, he's got this little shuffle mm-hmm. that he's got, you know, and it's just these little, little things that uh, unless you watch him and see what he's doing, then you can put that to what you're hearing. Right. You know, it's like you hear it and you go, yeah, that sound, and then you watch him go, oh, okay, so that's what he's doing. You know, and it's and it's not easy to do. You know, it's no. just really not. It's not that easy to do. He, he was very underrated. Oh, well, nobody in the band was flashy. I mean, there wasn't you know anybody that was flashy. Right. It was just you know good song. You know. Yeah, but yet and, they could uh, play on the rooftop of a of a skyscraper and still fill the streets, even though exactly. no one could see them. Exactly. <laughs> well, I've always thought you know it, I've held true that look you know you can love or hate the Beatles. You can you know anybody else you know, with Rush or whoever else you idolize. Nobody is ever going to come close to what the Beatles did and to what the Beatles mean and what the Beatles created. I mean, we wouldn't be in this drum business if it wasn't for Ringo and the Beatles. That's right. You know, because everybody, that's where I got it. I was watching them on TV one night with my dad. And I went, I can do that. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't look hard. Yeah. You know, and I came along a bit later, but if it wasn't for Ringo, the guys I listened to wouldn't have been doing it. And I wouldn't have found guys like Carl Palmer and Ian Pace and John right. Bonham because they wouldn't have exactly. been there. Right. And that's the thing. It's just, and, and that's, 
uh, you know, not to get off on about what, what I think is wrong with the music business today, but I mean, it's like there's not a band out there that people can go look at and go, gee, I want to be in a band. You know, yeah. other than maybe the Foo Fighters, I, I think what Dave Grohl and those guys do is tremendous. You know, they're first of all they're really they're, they're good people and they're really a good band mm-hmm. and very talented. But they bring kids up on stage and, and they play with them and they, and they really promote being in a band and learning how to play right. and not going on a reality show. You know, yeah. And that's, I think we we just don't have that any, at this point. You know, unfortunately. I would agree. I I think there's probably a few like uh, I would imagine Dream Theater when people go see Dream Theater, they're like, I want to do right. that. You know, because right. they're a very but they're a very flashy, very showmanship sort of band. But in right. general, I just I don't find that I'm that inspired by what's out there today. No, no, not at all. And it's sad, you know. It really is. I mean, I listen to you know a lot of the you know, quote old, older players and older stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And then, but there's some really new new guys that are out there that are just you know new drummers that are just phenomenal, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's you know luckily there's there's you know still hope for that, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm the same way. I really kind of stick to the things I grew up with. And I, I think I, I emailed you that Carl Palmer is coming here with uh, with a few people from Asia and doing a tour. Uh, Uriah mm-hmm. Heep's coming here. I'm going to go see them. Deep Purple's coming back. And, and you know, I, I just find so much comfort because I think the difference is, is that music was pure honesty. There were no mm-hmm. click tracks. There were no over, there was some overdubs, but there wasn't drum replacement. Um, it was you had to play the song. And right. they didn't have producers back then telling them, no, you need to put this in. Otherwise, it's not going to get on the radio. They had to do their their radio single. But apart from that, they wrote from honesty, from jams, which are very organic. And I just mm-hmm. I don't feel that you get that as much today. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go over a couple more of these companies, though, that you're, okay. that you're working yeah, for. Right. I, it's such an, a, an impressive list. Uh, uh, Fret King obviously is some. Are they guitar parts as well as straps? No, it's it's uh, a guy named Trevor Wilkinson from uh, England who used to do guitar parts, but he's put he does now, now full instruments, and that's done through the Rhythm Band Company as well, RBI. Mm-hmm. Um, inex- fairly inexpensive guitars, very high quality, just really really good. You know, you don't have to spend you know two thousand dollars on a guitar to get a guitar that plays real well, and right. and a lot of guys that you know that are using this stuff is you know guys that gig a lot, and they say, well, I don't want to take my you know two less Paul out to a bar, you know, and or I don't want to take it on on tour in case it gets stolen, you know, right. that kind of a thing. So yeah. you know, this is it's you know I'm not saying it's a throwaway guitar, but you're going to feel a lot lot less hurt if a you know. Six hundred or a thousand dollar guitar gets stolen, and a ten thousand dollar gets guitar Absolutely. gets stolen. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, that happens. Oh yeah, well, it happens all the time. Uh, but this is, you know, it's just a good quality, you know, medium medium price guitar, and it's a, it's you know, I'm having good luck with it. And they're really good folks to work with. Good, and it gives you something besides drums to to kind of get into, you know, since you're yeah. And I used to, like I said, I I was yeah, I would sell Schecter. I used mm-hmm. to sell Schecter back in the day. That that was all parts and bodies and necks and pickups and widgets and stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, I just like, I've always been a gear, a gear fan. I like it. You know, I, I like gear, you know, whether it's drums. I obviously I geek out more over drums and cymbals and stuff, but, uh, I like guitars and amps. And I like all that stuff, you know, it's just kind of the you know, way I grew up. So, you know, native instruments makes these wonderful, uh, pad samplers where you can just kind of play out patterns and stuff on them. And I have literally no reason to purchase one for what I do. They're great yeah. for people that are doing EDM and different kinds of things, but I have literally no reason to buy one. But I want one just because it looks so cool 
I just want exactly. it on, on my desk, you know? It's really exactly. easy to get sucked into that, especially nowadays, because everything, especially guitar pedals, have become so visible. Whereas, right. you know, back in the days of, of Ibanez and Boss, everything was standard model, just a different color. But now right. everything is right. different shapes and flashy and you know, oh, yeah. very eye-catching. Yep. Uh, yep. But that's what I love about drums, too. I mean, people will, you know, maybe the paint or the finish or the shell. But other than that, we really care about sound and quality and playability more than the visual con contrast. Right. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, you've got to have, uh, you know, you've got to have the right, uh, the instrument made properly. Mm -hmm. And again, back when I was traveling in the 70s, I, I had no idea what a bearing edge was, you know. I just, I put the drum head on and tuned it the best I could, you know. Right, yeah. And, and you know, now working with, with folks like you know, Bill at Pork Pie and the Odery people, and, uh, you know, some of these other guys just like, yeah, that, that makes all the difference in the world, you know. It does. And uh, it's nice that there's people that are paying attention to that. And, I mean, let's face it, a drum is, you know, you have you have a, a shell that's made out of a good a good uh, material and you've got a good bearing edge and a head, you know, how to tune it. It's going to sound pretty good, mm -hmm. you know, and the rest of it becomes eye candy and, and fashion. Right. Uh, but there are some things, you know, like different bearing edges and, and different mounts and so forth that have made a difference in the head have made it really, you know, a lot better for, for players. Sure. But, you know, you, it's like reinventing the wheel. You can only do so much with it, really, you know. Right. And it's a lot less taping, duct taping pieces of cardboard to the drum head to try and get that <laughs> ring <Yeah>. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I don't have any muffles on any of my drums. I have a little bit of moon gel on my snare drum. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the drums are made to, you know, made to ring. They're made to resonate. Yeah. resonate so. And between that and the quality of the drum mics nowadays... You know, it used to be just SM57s, and that's how you mic'd your drums. And now there's oh yeah, it's very that's specific. how you mic'd your drum. That's how you hammered the nails into the into the stage. And mm -hmm. I mean, SM57s <laughs> right. and 58s. That's that's what they were. They were workhorses. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they still uh, are. So let's talk a little bit about pork pie. I, I could be wrong, but when I first heard of pork pie, did they just start as a snare company? He started um, as snare and throne. Uh, he started out of his garage a long time ago. He made some drums and and people liked them. And he said, "Well, maybe I'll make some more and sell some more." So uh, kind of started with that. He actually used to do. Bill is a is a the thing Bill does uh, other than make you know tremendous drums. He's a great painter and he does killer bearing edges. My pearls, I had him do my my bearing edge on my pearl kicks. I could, I just couldn't get the sound that I wanted, mm -hmm. and I just said. Before I, I set fire to these things, please do the bearing edges on them and make them sound right. And he tweaked them and they sound magnificent. So he does wonderful bearing edges. He's a great painter. He used to paint for a drum workshop and some other people. Oh, okay. And uh, he's just, yeah, he's a he's a good painter. He does that. And he started out doing mainly snare drums, yeah. Mm -hmm. And now he's doing snare drums and thrones and uh, and drum sets. And he does a lot of wacky stuff. He's pretty pretty creative. He's actually my neighbor. It's, it's oh. funny. I look out my office window in his house three doors away from here. <laughs> and we've been, been neighbors. He, he's living in the house he grew up in. And for many years, it was like, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe maybe we should talk about, you know, me selling your stuff. And it's like, eh, you know, I don't know that I, I want to have, a, you know, have my boss live down the street from me. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there's but, that. But, uh, you know, it's it's fine. It, we're actually, you know, we have our sales meetings at the curb, you know, so mm -hmm. it's uh it, it works out real well. He's very easy to deal with. Great guy, great family. Just his kids, his one of his kids is a great drummer. Zach is a really good player. Um, so it, it's it's you know it's great, and the, and the product is 
I've never hit a pork pie drum, even before, even when I was with Pearl, that didn't sound tremendous. And it used to piss me off when I was with Pearl. But it, you know, it <laughs> well, was, yeah, I, I, I hit and go, damn it, you know. But uh, yeah, he he makes good stuff. He makes very good stuff. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Denver, uh, my roommate at the time, Scott Davies, who's gone on to do a lot of great work as a drummer. Uh, he uh, was the first one to tell me about pork pie, and I th- I thought, what a stupid name! That's just horrible. But you know what? <laughs> that is that doesn't get out of your head. I know, and that's what know. makes it work. And it's very kitschy, and he's got lots of little things going on with it, you know, with his logos and mm-hmm. different things. And uh, it's a it's he's a small, I don't want to say boutique, but he's you know he's a small. He's not like a, a drum workshop or Ludwig where he's got thousands of drums in stock. But that's you know, that's not what he wants, but, right. uh, yeah. he, he touches every drum that goes out. Um, and then he's also doing the Rogers drum, the Rogers dinosaurus with big bang. He's doing those. He does all the, um, they send him, it's like a kit and he does the bearing edges, the snare beds, uh, paints it, puts it together and pats it on the button, sends it out the door. Wow. So, um, yeah, he's, if you want somebody to get their hands on your drum, he's, in my opinion, he's probably the guy to do it. You know? That's a lot of shipping. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Well, I like, I'm glad that he's successful because I like when people just start with an idea and they have a dream and they don't want to diversify too much. They just start with one thing or two things and they do them very well. Yep. And that's what he does. He's pretty, he's pretty um, centered and pretty focused on what he's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't change a whole lot of different stuff. He hasn't changed his lug forever and he hasn't, you know, he's, he's done a couple of different lugs, but mostly it's the same, the same look. And the consistency factor of it is uh, again back to the consistency. Right. You know that's 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 what people know and, and, and like about it. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff. It's very good stuff. And uh, so you mentioned that he works through Big Bang, so that's a good segue in, into them. Big Bang carries every accessory a drummer or really a musician could ever want. They they carry everything in the world. It's unbelievable. They've got um, you know they're they're they started out you know Bob Kasha, who's the owner, used to have a store out here. Um, um, called ABK Rocks, and it was a great music store. And just you know, as things went, he decided to, to move on to other things, and he was making the head stick, which are the, you, you were being made by the Easton Company, mm-hmm. uh, the, the baseball bat people. And that started him in on his journey, what he's doing now, and, and with all the head products and you know, the head bags. Uh, you know, we're talking about bags and cases and stuff. This is uh, these are the best drum bags I've ever seen, and I bought I bought a you know, set or bought uh, bags for all my drums before I actually start working for them. Oh. And, uh, you know, the product's great. They've got tons of other accessories and sticks. And, and just, it's one of these companies that just does things right. And it's a joy to work for them. I'm not saying that just because I work for them, but it's, it's, it's one of these companies to where if I go up to them and go, hey, you know, we need to do this promotion with the dealer. And they say, well, if you think we need to do it, do it. Like, okay, thank you. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he lets me, you know, do what I think I need to do. And I, I write orders for them constantly all day long, you know, and it's just, and they're good people. They're, they're really fair and they make a great product. They have some great snare drums that they're building themselves, uh, along with the Rogers, um, situation. So they're, uh, they, they're, yeah, they've got pretty much anything a drummer needs. It's, 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 it's pretty intense. Well, and I have to say, my memories of their customer service was always top-notch. Anytime any little thing was missing from an order, they would take care of it right away. There was never any uh, difficulty. Everyone was friendly. 
but if you remember Julie from Pro Sound, she would do the Big Bang orders and she would uh, yep. she would come into the warehouse because I had moved up to Boulder and was managing the warehouse by then. And she would just look at me and I would say, what's wrong? And she would say, I just put in the Big Bang order. It's seven pages. And the thing about Big Bang was so much of the stuff that they sell are small accessories that they would ship it sure. all in one giant box. Right. That would weigh about right. 150 pounds. And then it was <laughs> that would be my entire day was just checking in Big Bang merchandise. Yep. But everything that was in that box was quality. There was nothing that they sold. It was like they had a level of standard that said, if it falls below this line, it doesn't go in our box. Well, and they also have, you know, they're one of these companies that if I place an order by one or two o'clock, good chances are if it's in stock, and it usually is, it'll go out that day or the next day. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a big thing with people. You know, like we said, we're in a right now world. And uh, it's it, it, that makes, you know, people know that they, they can order accessories and they don't have to worry about it. You know, they know they're going to be there. They know it's going to be right, and the price is right, and everything is good about. It. They just it's it's ease of doing business, which is another motto of mine that I try to instill in all my companies and all my people. It's got to be easy to do business because then you're going to do more business. You know, exactly. If you make it a pleasant experience and a simple experience, if you're there to support anything that didn't go right, I, I don't think people have problems with things going wrong as much as just not wanting to deal with the hassle of things going wrong. So if you could take that hassle We're not out of the care way, of it. yeah. Then yeah. there's no problem. You know, I don't mind hearing bad news as long as people keep me in the loop, let me know what's going on. Yep. Um, and if you're friendly about it, then it's then the news isn't as much of an issue to me. It's it's right. all the stuff that goes with it that's the problem. Well, that's and that's one thing I in, in my repping career that I've always uh, tried to do is that uh, you know I'm not I'm not an expert sales. I'm not like you know a, a, a MBA sales guy. I'm I'm a salesman of the real world because I work in retail stores and I been on the road and I know how to treat people. I know how people, you know, want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I always call people back. I'll always let them know what's going on. Even if it's bad news, even if, and especially if it's the good news, you got to let them know, you know, and, but like you said, it's all in how you take care of that problem. You know, if there's a problem, <clears throat> it's great, you know, or it's, a, or it's a terrible thing, you have a problem, but it's how you take care of that and make it right that matters and make, keeps people coming back to you. That's, that's the whole, the whole trick. Right. And here's what I really appreciate about that, Les, is because we live in a world now where people don't want to interact. They don't want to say anything that's bad news, anything that might set someone off. So they hide behind an email address, a website. There's very little business to business anymore, very little personal touch. It's all let's just deal with it digitally and not have to talk. Right. It's very disconnected. And I think it's yeah. great that we still have people that do what you do because we, yeah, we can look up the information. I can look up statistics on any product online, but I want to sure. know about it. I want to know why it's good. You can't read yeah. that. You you can't get that on a website. Well, and, and, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever bought an instrument other than used stuff on eBay uh, online. And I don't understand other than maybe like a, an electronic piano or a piece of electronic gear mm -hmm. that's kind of a static kind of a thing. Yeah. But with, with the guitar or drums or cymbals, you want to taste it and feel it and, and kiss it and look at it and, and play it. You know, you get it's because they're all different. Right. You know, and, and that's where the customer service part comes into it. You know, your former boss, Bob, uh, at, at uh, Pro Sound was really good about that. Mm -hmm. You know, he's always wanting to make sure that the customer got the right thing and the right. Uh, you know, right thing for him or her. And uh, you, you can't necessarily do that online, you know? Yeah. And you know, that's the difference between going into a lot of places. I've noticed uh, back in the day when, when Best Buy was kind of in its heyday, 
the, right. the clerks didn't really seem to know that much about what they were selling. They would look it up in the manual, but at ProSound, they were, uh, most of the guys were straight commission. So you had to know right. your product. You had, you would take it sure. home, you would do a report on it. You would learn your business. Yep. Well, that's, you know, if I'm going to come in and spend a thousand dollars with you, I want you to know, I want you to have input and I want you to have good input and I want you to know what you're talking about. Exactly. You know, and, and, that, and that's the whole thing with the tap dancing thing. I mean, I don't know how many people I've heard, you know, and, and I've told them, I said, look, if you don't know, if you're talking to somebody and you, and it's a product that I sell and you don't know, so you know what, I don't know, but let me make a phone call right now and I'll find out for you. Exactly. And you call me. Yeah. You know, and not only will that impress the, the customer that you, A, admitted you didn't know about it, mm -hmm. and B, that you're calling, you know, the, the, uh, the rep or the expert, you know, and get the right answer. You know, that part of it makes you know, make so much of a, of a difference. It's ridiculous. You know? Well, and not only just in that moment, but in every transaction or interaction that we have going forward, because that's how you're always going to remember that person is at their weakest right. moment and how they come out right. of it. And, and exactly. if you say, I'm going to follow up with you, you damn well better follow up with me. Otherwise, I'm going to remember yep. that you didn't do that either. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, we got a couple more here that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, tell me about Agner Drumsticks. Agner Drumsticks is a, a new company out of uh, Switzerland. And um, they've been around for a little while. They've, they uh, have been over in, in Europe for quite a while. Uh, just a, a really nice and balanced uh, quality stick. Um, you know, it's funny because everybody goes, no, I don't need another drumstick. I don't need the guitar strap. It's like, well, yeah, but you need one that's good and, and one that will make you money and one that the people like, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's, pre it's a pretty cool stick. It's just, Like I said, it's very balanced and very uh, just feels really good in the hands. They've been around for a little bit. Very nice. And yeah. uh, let's talk about Odery. Odery is a, a Brazilian company, uh, again, through the uh, the rhythm band company that uh, that does the Atempo and Toca. And um, very interesting stuff. I mean, a lot. some of it's made in Brazil, some of it's made in China. Uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, they've got lots of really nice woods and different finishes. Uh, they've got kits that are that you would look at and think, oh, that's a $3,000 kit and it's $1,500. Wow. The bearing edges work on it. The the finish is great. The you know little the way some of the lugs going through the bass drum hoops and just little things. Um, it, it's a very interesting company. They also have a company uh, a drum set called the Cafe Kit, which is a little you know small kit that's you know like three drums, four drums, and um, they're they're small sizes, but they're made out of uh, basswood and they're made out of real wood, not crap. Mm -hmm. And they used, they're real drums. You know, they look at it, go, oh, that's a kid started it, and say, now sit down and play it. Yeah. And they go, oh, wow, you know. So that's one of the one of the main things they've got going. Because um, when you see something like that, I think the initial thought is it's press board or it's cheap or it's something that you would yeah. find on Amazon. You know, a, a kid's right. kit. But there are a lot of people out here in Vegas that are playing jazz clubs on little kits like that that sound sure. tremendous. Oh yeah. Well, again, here's here's the, what we were talking about before. You know, you look at the kid and go, eh, you know, but if you sit down and play it and get your hands on it, you go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's all, it's that, that perception based thing where you've got to have somebody go, yeah, but look, here's the, here are the benefits and the features of this. You need to look at it and play it. And then if you don't like it, then you don't like it, sure. you know, but at least you know that it's, you, you know what it is. You know that it's not something that's your, that, you know, is presenting itself as something else. So. Yeah. And, and I'm a big believer and through experience, I mean, I didn't just wake up thinking this way, but don't judge a book by its cover just because something right. not may not look that great. Doesn't mean it isn't an amazing thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, especially with instruments, you know, it's got, and it's a lot of it's fashion, a lot of it's perception of what you've heard and 
you know, all that. But you know, the, the best, the only way to really, um, to really know is to get your hands on it and sit and play it, no matter what it is, you know, and touch it and feel it and, and bang on it or, or whatever you got to do with it, you know. So, right. how about uh, cack sack leather bags? Cack sack leather bag. That's an interesting guy. He's a uh, uh, Mr. Cacavelli up in uh, in New York. Um, an older guy who's been around for a long time, hand makes leather bags. Um, it's very, very low production, but it's just one of these things where, you know, he's a friend of a friend and, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't sell a ton of his stuff, but I sell, I do sell a bit of it, but it's all quality stuff. It's like the old reunion blues stuff that used to be around. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, really high quality stuff. And big bang has a new leather bag out. That's very nice too. That that's kind of in along those lines. So he's just he's just a, a, an older jazz player up in New York, a real character, and uh, you know makes really good, inexpensive, but really really high quality stuff. So and I love that people are still hand making things that we're not depending oh, yeah. on machines yeah. for every little thing we do. Uh, uh, it's amazing. I I've gotten a couple of bags from on samples, and I look at them, and there's a couple of little flaws on them. I go, "Why well, like you?" He goes, yeah, "I'm sorry." I said, "No, I like that. That looks that's good." Yeah. You know, because it shows that you actually had some hands on it, you know? Right. You know, it's quality. Yeah. Somebody's touched it. It's not factory pressed, barely inspected by somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. How exactly. about uh, what is Black Swan Percussion got? Black Swamp is a, um, uh, a concert percussion company, uh, probably the top company known you know, in the industry at this point. They make amazingly high end, precise, sensitive concert you know like symphonic concert snare drums mm-hmm. uh they make triangles they make concert toms and they do uh, all sorts of other different you know concert instruments and they're also making uh drum set snares right now they do they'll do like a bell brass they'll do titanium they do all sorts of different woods they're just ridiculously nice drums they're just stupid <laughs> you know and it's just you, you know I, I had one of the titaniums and i'm i'm not that big of a of a metal drum fan, although I do like my old Ludwig Superphonics, of course. Sure, yeah. But um, I sit down and played this titanium. It's like, holy crap, this is unbelievable, you know? So they, they're, and they're out of Michigan. They're out of um, Free, uh, Freeland, Freelander, Michigan. Okay. Is that, uh, does that ring a bell to you? I'm not familiar with that town now. Uh, let me see if I can get the right name where they're from. But yeah, they're, they're out of Michigan. They make everything up, you know, up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Really, really, you know, kind of wacky guys, but really nice guys. Um, Zeeland, Michigan. Zeeland. I'm not familiar with Zeeland. I don't. Yeah, I think it's uh, Ann Arborish. Oh, but, okay. Um, yeah. So they do they do all this stuff, and uh, you know, it's it's a limited market, but you know, schools and, and symphonies and the drum set stuff is starting to come around a little bit. So again, it's it's not a high pressure company. They're fun to work with. They're nice guys, and the the the, the product is you know phenomenal. So. That's great. And, you know, we, we're really big on uh, symphonic stuff here, too, because we've got, uh, obviously, our orchestra plays with a lot of uh, bands that come through doing their symphony tours. Um, sure. We've got a lot of stuff that goes on here at the Smith Center, and there's some wonderful people in the percussion uh, side of our orchestra. So it's really good to see companies out there that focus on that. Yeah, they've been doing this for a while. They're, they're, they've, they know what they're doing, that's for sure. And the guy also does etching. I'm sorry, he does um, some etching, you know, like... Uh, one or two of the other guys have done over the years, but he hand etches a lot of the the brass drums or the titanium drums. Really? And to watch, oh, and to watch how that is done, it would drive me crazy. <laughs> and I told him, I said, "You've got to be the most patient, non-coffee drinking person I've ever seen in my entire life." 
because the way it everything is scratched by hand, you know, wow. and it's just it's just amazing to me. I, I you know I would never have the patience to do that, but that's that's another hands-on you know handmade thing. You can't really do that with a machine and have it look right. Sure. You know? Well, you know, I my grandfather repaired watches and, and little clocks, and I could never understand how he could work with those tiny parts and oh, that level of precision. It's funny because I can do as a musician. I can work with precision, but with little tiny parts like that, I just don't have yeah. that mindset. Yeah, I lose them. I mean, it's like it's like the proverbial word, the drunk ego, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So. Well, I, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen it, Nam, uh, over at the Sabian booth where they've got the guy that shows you the hammering, the hand hammering process. Oh, sure. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do that all day. Yeah. It takes a special person to do that. I've, I've gone to the, to the Sabian factory. I've gone to the Pisces factory, too, and it takes a special kind of person with a special feel yeah. to, to make, to do that, you know, and um, like if you're making gongs or making some of the stuff that, you know, you don't just run an ad and say, Hey, we need somebody to make some, some symbols, you know, come on, come on over, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And I don't, I might've been on Instagram uh, Pisces page, but they had, I saw recently somewhere a picture of somebody at the beginning stages of building one of their gongs. I, yeah, just, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Just this huge round piece of metal that I kind of just want to hit and know what that sounds like on its own. But to think exactly. about that being, you know, gilded down into a gong is a really, it's a fascinating process. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, and it takes a long time. And then these, these people, there's no set time. There's no set schedule. Uh, it's made when it's made, you yeah. know, and it's made when, until it's right. That's, I like that. That's just the way to do it. I really Well, like there's that. another a new video that Drumeo did uh, that was a, a Peisty factory tour, which was done very, very well. Uh, which shows a lot of the you know what Pisces has to do with their and their uh, hand hammering and the way they the way they do things. So that, that's, that's a very interesting out. video. Yeah. yeah, it's very good. Well, before we we get back to them, uh, we we do have one other product to discuss, and this I find really interesting because it seems really off the beaten path for what you're doing. But you're selling ukuleles. I do. I sell. Um, I, I've been working with a company called uh, Ohana, and I'm also going to be working with uh, Amahi. Uh, the ukulele business is a very strange group of people, a very strange um, um, culture. Uh, the people that are into it are way into it, and uh, it's the ukulele business has calmed down a little bit, but it's still crazy. I mean, it's just crazy, um, and it's 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 funny. I mean, because literally anybody can learn how to play an ukulele. Mm-hmm. You know, they they may not be a master at it, but they can they can play. You know, and that's and that's really all they want to do. It's like, you know, when people get a uh, a djembe or something where they can just bang on something and like some of these drum circles, if you can get any kind of a consistent rhythm, that's rewarding because and satisfying because, well, now you can play something. Right. And yeah. it's the same way with the ukulele. You know, it's you learn a couple chords and you can play ukulele, you know. I think that's the attraction is that you can get up and running fairly quickly. Yes. Um, you don't have to spend years like you would with most other instruments kind of mastering right. it. Right. I think the other thing about them is that they're visually, they've become so attractive. I mean, so many different patterns. If you, I don't know if you get a chance to go downstairs to Hall E when you go to NAM, but it's basically a sea of them. I mean, they're everywhere. All these different yep. companies come over and you think yep. that's plenty. We have, we have enough now. <laughs> yeah. But no more, please. Yeah. yeah. Very, very visually, all the different patterns and colors, and it's an attractive instrument. Well, and the other thing that people don't understand, and I didn't really understand until I got into it a few years ago. I used to work with a company that was based out of uh, Kauai, and how expensive they can be. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some handmade in Hawaii that are, you know, two and three thousand dollars. Sure. And it, it's, you know, you look at that and go, that's a lot of money for a little thing like that. But it's, you look at it, it's either Alcoa, which they really can't do anymore, mm-hmm. um, or acacia wood, or some really, really amazing wood <clears throat> that's been hand, all handmade. Right. You know, and that's again back to the handmade, touching it, feeling it, and and you know having a human do it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and and those sell quite well. The high-end ukulele business is, is actually does very well. Yeah, it's really amazing how big that actually is because it's not something that you, it's not really publicized unless you know somebody that has one or you see one in a movie or a video. It's not right. a commonly thought of instrument, but it's it's actually a much bigger market than people realize. Oh, yeah. And I looked at, uh, there's a, the, a website, uh, a guy, Ukulele Underground, um, and it's just the web it stretches so far to people mm-hmm. and it, and it's ukulele, not ukulele. Yes. I, I got, I got corrected on that right off the bat. So. <laughs> but it's, uh, I said, Hey, I'm from Texas. You're lucky. I don't call it a ukulele, you know? <laughs> right, but, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, it's amazing how widespread, um, that culture is. It's great. I mean, it's, you know, it's people playing music. That's, you know, that's what it's all about. You know? Exactly. It brings people joy and, and that's the yeah. thing. But Les, I have a question for you. Yes. Why, after all these years, do I still love Peisty 2002s? <laughs> well, because you have impeccable taste. Well, thank you. Um, they, uh, it's because they're just, it's, they're just a great instrument. I mean, I've known, well, I worked for Peisty back in the 80s, and, uh, and then, you know, things, different things happened. I moved on, and then now I'm back with them again for the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. It's such a completely different instrument than the other two brands that are at. Well, not not there's more than that now because it's it's uh, it's funny at Nam Show because well we're going to go down to a Turkish Row where there's like thousands of new cymbal companies you know right yeah uh, unbelievable but Pisces has always had an advantage and an edge no pun intended because it's sound <laughs> uh, that they the way they make their cymbals the consistency that we touched on you know everything is made to a master cymbal mm-hmm. so. Whatever symbol they make, there's a master for it, and it gets tested against that master. And if it doesn't sound right, it goes. It gets tossed, and it's not. You know, they don't remelt it, they don't rehammer it, and they don't try to make it right. If it's not right, it's not right. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're one of the few companies that still hand hammer. Um, they do have some machine hammering, but they they do you know mostly hand hammering. And uh, I had a friend who's a dealer up in uh, Northern California who just got back from Switzerland. He went there just because he wanted to go, and then he went to the factory. And he said, it's amazing how clean and organized and how precise the factory is. I went there in, in 85, and it was it was just amazing, you know. Um, well, it's just Swiss efficiency, you know. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's just they make, you know, the, the symbols are are just amazing. You know, they sound, they've got a sound for pretty much everybody. Uh, they're completely different than the other two companies, although we do have a, a, some Turkish-style symbols uh, that are a little bit darker, but they still have the, the Pisces shimmer and the, the Pisces glass, you know, sound to them. But, yeah, the 2002s have been, you know, I mean, 2002s and signatures, that's, you know, there's nothing better. And they're just, they always, the, the thing with the consistency, to me anyway, is that I always tell people, say, look, if you're you're gigging and you've got a, an 18-inch 2002 medium, and, you know, sadly, you break it. If you're in, you know, wherever, you know you can get that symbol in order to go into the store. And it's going to be 
almost 100% what you had. Right. I mean, things, you know, they're going to vary maybe just a tiny, tiny bit, but not enough to really even notice. So you, to me, that's good. Well, I can't find my own perfect symbol. Well, that's, you know, you, you go and get the right symbols and you've got the right symbol. You know, if uh, if you break one, you know you're going to get what you what you like. You're not going to have to dig through 30 symbols to find, you know, to find the one that you wanted. So that's, I think that's important. And plus that just, to me, that just goes to the the quality of the workmanship. If they make everything that consistent, they obviously know what they're doing, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. And and I mean, there are other symbols that I like their sounds. I mean, I really like the uh, the A series from Zildjian. But the fact mm-hmm. is, every time you go and buy a 16-inch A crash, it's going to sound different than the last one, oh, sure. the one before that. And if you have five of them, they're all going to sound different. And yep. if you're looking for, for something for effect, that's fine. But if you want a, if you want a signature sound, if you want something that's consistent, uh, especially if you're going in the studio, it's right. really good to know that if you break one in the middle of a recording session, you can just go to the store and get another one, and, and it's not going to affect the recording at all. Exactly. And, and that's, it's funny because on this recording we did with the band, uh, I used my, my, some giant beats and uh, some dark energy hats and an older signature ride that the guy at the studio had, and they just they recorded amazingly. Uh, they they just sounded great, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just a quality product, and you know, they're not trying to be the biggest symbol company in the world. They don't want to do. They don't care about that. They just want to make good stuff and quality stuff, and. Um, it's it's a pretty amazing product. They've got a bunch of new stuff that they've come out with. Uh, there's the um, Modern Essentials, which are 602s, which are the one that Vinny Kaliuta switched over to, which was pretty pretty huge. Um, they've just got, I mean, you know, you, it's some of these symbols you sit and play. I, I remember walking through uh, the warehouse in California here, and I was I started hitting symbols, and I hit one, and you hit it, and you go, ooh. Hello, you know that's mm-hmm. that's nice, and you just you, you it just it just strikes you, you know, it's just like oh, I want that, yeah, I like that, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's you know, and it's just they've got so many different feelings in their symbols and so many different, uh, you know, different um, you know quality products. It's just it's you know it's a great company, it's great it's a great product. They have been they've been that way for a long time. I agree, and and I love that when they came out with the three hundred twos and the five hundred twos because then you could get people that were at the entry level that didn't have the money because they're not they're not inexpensive symbols. They're worth it, but they're not inexpensive. But when they came out with those entry level lines, that was great exactly. for for young drummers to be able to get a symbol pack and say, "Here's everything I need to get started," and just have it when they get their kit. Right. Well, we have uh, the PST three five and seven and eight, which is. Uh... Pisces sound technology, and uh, it's those are the quote lower end symbols. Um, so we, I mean, we still we still have that. Um, so you know, it's it, it is a way to help help you know get the get somebody into it that may not have the money. But on the other hand, it's interesting. I remember uh, when I first went back to to Pisces, you know, ten eleven years ago, uh, I went to Nam show and I had a couple of friends that worked for Zildjian. And they came over and they were you know capping on stuff, and there was a a new, it was a um, uh, Indugu Chancellor ride that we had, and they were playing on. They're going, yeah, but your stuff is so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I said, you know how much a 21 inch K hybrid ride is? And he said, well, I said, I'll tell you how much it is because I just bought one about four months ago. I said, it's about 700 bucks. Mm-hmm. This is a little under, you know, 650. So shut up, you know. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> Pisces used to be the real high, real high price symbol. I mean, everybody's like, oh, they're so expensive. They kind of stayed where they were and actually came down a little bit, and everybody just grew up to them. Right. So it's yeah. it's really it's got that that image of being really expensive, maybe because of the way they sound, but they're not really they're not really out you know overly priced in, in, in the way the market is these days. Sure. I'm just glad I don't have to go out and buy all new symbols because everything is expensive. <laughs> that's right. But, you know, if I had to go out and buy all new gear, I don't know if I'd be playing. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, everything's become so pricey now that you, know, you kind of wonder how musicians that are at their entry level right now are going to get to the point. Of having the kind of gear that we have because it's just a it's a much bigger mountain to climb than it used to be yep yeah it is it is yeah but luckily some people are, or a lot of people are still trying to climb it so that's good that's you know? true yeah well one more thing on on Peisty, and, and correct me if i'm wrong i just i saw this uh ad out of the corner of my eye and i went to go back to it and the link was gone but uh is did carl palmer get a signature Peisty? uh he does he has a, a signature uh ride when did that come out Oh, two, one, two, three years ago, I think. Yeah, three years ago. Well, obviously, I'm up to date on things. <laughs> well, that's okay. You can't yeah. know everything. That's that's you can't true. Know everything. That's true. I knew that. Um, yeah, it's um, trying to look at it here. And see what it is. It's a, a signature symbol, and what did we call it? It was called the. Oh, uh, right. I'm slipping my slip. Oh, it's he called the duo ride. So it's got um, two different playing services on it, two different, you know, a little one's a little bit thicker than one's unlaid, and then part of it's laid. So it's a it's a nice symbol. It's got a lot of different different characteristics to it. One thing that's really great about that company is that they really listen to their their signature artists. Um, I sure. heard an interview with one drummer who said uh, I don't remember who it was, but he was saying, you know, I really like this one symbol. And I said, well, you know, if you ever do one with a little bit bigger of a bell, I'd like that more. And they send it to him two weeks later. You know, they really yeah. listen because they want to develop, you know, new things and things that are going to work. And if it works for their signature artists, it's going to work for other artists. Sure. Well, and that's a part that's, that's all part of, of being a smaller, quote, smaller company that can maneuver and listen to people like that. I mean, you know, obviously, if, if you've got a successful drummer who's a good player and, 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 and you know, whatever, and he's got an idea for a symbol, obviously, they've kind of got a good idea and they've got a good head on their shoulders. So you might want to listen to them. It yeah. may be completely outrageous and stupid, but it may be like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Let's do that. You know? Sure. And they listen to it and they have the ability to do that. So, you know, cause they do everything there and they do everything. It's all, all them. So it's not farmed out or anything. So they can, they can, you know, maneuver a little bit quicker and, and, uh, and, and act on it quicker. So, and plus they can react to the market a little bit better. You know, a little bit quicker. So uh, right, and if somebody yeah. wouldn't have given uh, crazy a chance, we wouldn't have had rock and roll. God, God bless them for that. You know, we also wouldn't have had disco, but I'll leave that to your own thoughts. Well, we'll yeah, we'll leave we'll leave that one where it is. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. Fine. Yeah, uh, it certainly so, served its purpose. But uh, yes, yes, and and it's uh, resting with history now. Um, yeah. So uh, before we go, though, I I do want to talk to you about one other thing. Uh, you have recently released an album with a band called Black Squirrel. Uh, tell yes. us about that and, and the record. You recorded that in L.A., right? I did at uh, Crush Studios. A guy named Brian Green is the uh, was the engineer, and um, it's the uh, the thing. It's we started out this project with you know doing you know playing wineries and playing you know parties and having fun, and then the uh, the guitar player uh, who. Uh, Call him Doctor Phil. He's a he's a doctor. 
oddly enough. But he um, said, I want to do a proper record. And so we all said, great, let's do it. And it was kind of a bucket list for him. And we went to the studio and it took us about a year to do it uh, because uh, we all had you know jobs and other things going on. Uh, but it was it was an amazing experience uh, to see how recording has come, you know, how far it's come from when I used I used to record a little bit, and that was you know everybody just used two inch tape, and uh, I think as we discussed before, you're in the room and everybody plays, and you know then they you know they do dummy tracks or whatever. But for me, I was in the the main uh, studio by myself and playing along to the you know rec- stuff that we had dummy tracks for, and uh, just you know playing by myself and playing to that. And uh, uh, he damn near killed me. You know, it was, uh, I went in from 11 o'clock till about 7 o'clock, four days in a row. He said, we're going to do drum tracks first. I said, okay. And then it was about five or six hours a day of doing nothing but playing drums, mostly the same stuff over and over again. You know how that goes. Yeah. And uh, But he also got stuff out of me that I'd never done before that I didn't know I could do, which was good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just, it was one of the most gratifying experiences I've had. And I can't tell you. You know, we had a, a, a record release party, and after that night, I, you know, I was talking to a couple of the other guys. The band said, "You know what? I don't want to do bar bands anymore. You know, I don't want to do Jump Jack Flash anymore. I, I, this, this is fun. And you know, God bless the guys that do the, the, the bars. I've done it enough, and it's it's not easy work yeah. for a lot of little pay. But uh, it's just more, I just found it a lot more rewarding doing our own stuff." And, uh, you know, it's up on, uh, all the, all the regular sites, you know, the, where you can find music and it's actually doing okay. You know, it's, it's kind of, there's, it's not any genre. It's, uh, got some rock to it. It's got some gospel, a little bit of dance in, involved in it. And, uh, some, and it's some good, just rock and roll songs. It's just, and it's, it's not, um, not trendy. So two years from now, it'll be, you know, it'll still be, still be valid, you know? And um, so we're hoping to, within a year, within this year, try to get um, try to get the band rehearsed and maybe go do some shows. Our guitar uh, player lost his house in one of the big fires here, so that that kind of set us back a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. yeah, just a bit. So we're we're still you know working on another album and trying to get some you know some new tunes together. And so it's fun. It's just it's nice to be in a creative situation. I got a bass player that I've uh, that we've been playing with. Uh, off and on out here for a while. He's just a guy named David Chamberlain, who's just ridiculously easy to play with. And as you know, as you know, being a drummer, uh, you know it's when you got that guy sitting off to your left, a woman, and it's just easy to play, and you don't have to think about it. It just makes it so much more fun. Yeah. And he's that's that's the way this is. So the whole the whole situation is just like I said earlier. If it's not fun, I don't I don't care. You know, I don't want to be involved in this. Is fun. And I like the people, and we all get along. And if somebody has an idea and you know, the idea works great. If it doesn't, okay, fine. You know, it's yeah. never, no, I don't want to do that. You're the drummer. You don't have an idea. You know, <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. Listens. I don't miss those. Everybody things. listens to everybody. Yeah. We've all been through that. So, mm-hmm. so it's fun. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, so I appreciate you, you bring that up. That's a nice shameless plug. I like that. Well, Thank sure. You. And you know, there's nothing better for a drummer that understands groove to play with a bass player that can play the pocket. Oh yeah. It's just, I've had two guys that I've played with recently uh, another guy named Pat Wilkins, who has a, a, I used to work with him at Schechter, and he's got a Wilkins guitar company, who I ran into at one of, the, one of these mini blues jams around here, and we ended up playing together. And it was, again, you know, we played, we hadn't seen each other in 30 years, we played, and it was one of these things where you kind of stop and you go, 
Oh, that was kind of fun. You know, mm-hmm. that was that was nice. You know, so uh, yeah, you don't you don't have to think about it, and it's just right there, and they you can follow each other, and you know where each other's going, and it's just it makes it so much more fun. Well, I think some of the best music is stuff that you just feel. It's just all 100% feel. You don't try to strategize. You don't go, okay, well, we were just at a C, so we need to go to an A. Nothing like yeah. that. You just feel it and play and let it go where it's going to go. Right. And just you play what's good for the song and you play what, what feels good. And that's, well, I mean, again, that's why we're, most of us, that's why we're musicians or drummers or guitar players or whatever, you know, because it feels good. And that's what we got to do, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you, you mentioned, though, the the isolation of the way that you recorded it. does Do you feel that it potentially could have been better if the band had recorded together in the same room with the collective energy as a jam? I think it would have been better from the standpoint of I would have been more comfortable mm-hmm. because that's what I'm comfortable doing. Um, but the way it but the way we did it was, you know, once the, after about the first couple hours of, of me, you know, having them and the, the, the control room was upstairs. So I'm looking up at this window and they're all like looking down at me, you know, I feel like a goldfish. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it might've been easier for me, you know, from a selfish standpoint, because that's what I was used to. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and maybe the, having the energy might've been different. I, I've done that before. It would, you know, when we've had everybody in the room together and it, and it definitely is a different feel, but, um, you know, this, this one had a good feel to it. So. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm, I'm going to check out that album this weekend. I, I'm so sorry. I forgot all about, it. I remember that you had posted that you were doing some recording. Uh, and then of course I just, you know, fell off the world as usual and forgot what was going on around me. Uh, <laughs> I, I fall I, off all the time. So. <laughs> But I've always enjoyed, you know, listening to any of the video clips and things that you've posted. I've always thought you're a very talented drummer. Really looking oh, forward to hearing uh, what you've done in the studio, too. Great. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's been so great to talk to you and great to catch up. I still just can't believe we've known each other for this long. I know. It's it's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that, that we kind of reconnected here and on the on the wonderful world of Facebook. Yes. But uh, it's, I, I really appreciate the, the chance to talk. I'm, it's really good to get you know catch up with you on this and and uh i I like your all your podcasts it's great what you're doing and it's nice to see people doing that kind of stuff and and not you know it's 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 kind of refreshing and nice to see so i i appreciate the opportunity to get on and talk about it oh absolutely and and i gotta say one of the joys for me going to nam every year is that that's the one time that i do get to actually see you in person and uh, drool over some symbols, so I I know you always keep an extra cloth in your pocket. I, I try I try to I try to keep a towel handy at all times. So it's, yeah, a, it's a, a wise idea. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, definitely. Uh, best of luck to you guys on the album. Uh, I think it's going to be great that you're going to be doing some gigs. I'm guessing you're not going to fill up any extra time with Jumping Jack Flash. Probably not. Probably uh, not. I <laughs> unless there's a lot of money involved. You know, well, I mean, yeah. I, I have I have my limit. You know, I, I have lines that I don't cross unless there's a really good reason, and then I just throw up all over. Yeah. It's the easiest thing. To do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it funny because some of these bands, you know, where we're doing stuff, uh, you know, they'd say, "Well, we're going to do this, do this." It's okay. I said, "I, I have a couple tunes I, I will not do." And with all respect to Chicago, Color My World, mm-hmm. I said, if it's going to be Color My World, you're going to play drums on it. That's all there is to it. And uh, there was one other one. I don't, I can't remember. But I said, Color My World is I'm, I'm, I've done that in high school for 100 years and I ain't doing it. So, yeah. But uh, again, unless there's a lot of money. So, yeah, what are you going to do? So. Well, there's there's really <laughs> only one song that I can think of that I, I've always been a bit terrified of, of having to play as a drummer. And that's uh, Rosanna. Mm. 
it's not that well, it's yeah. a difficult groove because you can get the groove, but it's I think it's just the pressure of the expectation of being so perfect to be. Well, Picaro. yeah, I, I, and yeah, Picaro's another one of these guys that uh, you know that it's just it's ridiculous. You know, uh, you know, we were talking about Richie Hayward. Um, I wanted to touch on that. I, I did a, a benefit for him um, uh, back in. 2009, uh, another friend of mine, Bruce Barber, and I did a, a thing for him when he, when Richie got sick, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to know him a lot better. You know, I, I had met him actually when I was with Sabian and, and Pearl, and um, he just a great guy for one. But we had this, you know, this great benefit at Jackson Brown play. We had um, Jimmy Vivino. We had all these all, any drummer in LA that was around played and it was great mm-hmm. and I remember you know I'd, I'd call Richie about once a week and I he's oh yeah call anytime I said I don't want to bug you he goes no no you're not bugging me he goes you know I'm starting to play again I said that's great he said but you know my my body won't do what my what my mind tells me it you know tells it to do and I said well I said that's kind of only fair he goes well what do you mean I said nobody else can cop what you can do so why should you be able to do it you know so <laughs> that's right you gotta, you gotta, yeah got a kick out of that but uh yeah very musical guy and it was just uh yeah but but Picaro was another one of these guys it's like really I mean come on but yeah Rosanna and 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 uh, not that they're the same tune but Bobby McGee I won't play Bobby oh, McGee oh yeah so. yeah I don't blame you, <laughs> you know? at all yeah I've tried to play Rosanna, and I just I can't, you know. Like I said, the groove you can get the groove, but it's just that that's it's there's more to it than that, you know. Yeah, it, it's so. it's like like that Ringo swing. If you don't have that yep. Ringo swing, you can play the yep. notes, but it's not going to be the same. It, you are exactly 100 percent right. That's you, true. You know, as little as I look up history and things, it was actually I didn't know until a few years ago that Picaro was the one that played on Michael Jackson's albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he so he's the drummer on Billie Jean, which which when you think about it makes perfect sense because it's so yeah. damn precise well and you listen to some of the other stuff you did with boss gags and you know the leader shuffle and mm-hmm. and just all these things that i mean you know toto was a, a studio they were studio guys that's all they, they played for everybody right you know and, mm-hmm. and that's a, a completely different type of animal too you know be able to sit down and just lock into that stuff and you know you see these guys like jr robinson and some of these guys that you know yes yes jr say how come you how come you work so much other than you're a good player he said because i can read like a son of a gun. He mm-hmm. says, I can go in, they hand me the chart, I look at it, I nail it, and move on. And I say, well, do you, what about, do they ask you, you know, your opinion, or do you give your opinion? He goes, no, I'm a hired gun. If they don't, if they ask for it, I tell them. If not, I, you know, I get through the chart and move on. And, but these guys read it and just, you know, and they just nail it. And that's a special, that's a special kind of animal to be able to do that. Yeah. It's a, that's a tough one, you know? Yeah. It's it's like having a live MIDI player without, you know, you just tell them, here's the notes I want you to play, but they play it like a human. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I think that's the other right. thing too with those guys was that they, they may be lesser so than the Wrecking Crew, but I know that the Wrecking Crew, those guys would not go play live because if they couldn't be in the studio for a session, someone else would come and take their job. And that would be exactly. it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And plus they were working so much, they didn't have time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't be on the road, you know, going playing two, three states away when you got to be back in the studio in two days to do another session. You're right to do Hawaii five hour or something. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Les, it has just been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time out and uh, good luck with the album. I'm glad to see it's doing well. Oh, well, thank you. Again, it's been great talking to you again and catching up and I appreciate uh, the opportunity and uh, I've, I've continued luck to you on your all the podcasts and all the stuff you're doing up there well thank you my friend you take care of yourself all right man i appreciate it thank you you bet bye-bye 
Yep. And that's exactly why we've been friends for 30 years. Just listen to the honesty, the decency, the consideration in this guy's voice. Those are the people I like to keep in my circle. There's far too many people that promise you the world that, uh, you know, aren't honest. They'll, they'll down talk everyone around them to try and make themselves look better. Les is a straight shooter, great drummer and great guy. And I'm really happy, really happy to have him on the show. Uh, so that's about it for this week. Uh, keep your eye out for next week's episode where I review the Stranger Things Season 3 trailer. In the meantime, I got to go write some music and uh, get some other things done. Got to get this album moved forward. Thank you very much for joining me. Remember to leave your feedback or star rating on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Podbean, uh, my website. Uh, actually, I don't think I have anything there, but a donate button. So feel free to donate. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.